Fernando, did I ever tell you about the time I played polo in England? No, really? Yes, uh, a buddy of mine invited me and some other friends to his place in England. We had to be there for a business meeting. It was a kind of trip where you might fit in a round of golf. Would you fit in a game of polo? I didn't know you played polo. I don't play polo. I don't even ride horses. So when I read his email, I assumed it was a joke. So what happened? Well, we show up at his place, pile into a few cars, and drive over to this polo field. They put us on horses, gave us polo mallets, maybe 30 seconds of instruction, and let us loose. Whoa. Did you manage to stay on? Whoa is the right word. <laughs> Amazingly, yes, and so did all of us newbies, and we had a great time. Well, I'm glad you didn't break your neck, but what does this story have to do with America the Bilingual? It does seem kind of random, but here's the connection. My buddies and I were learning horseback riding by not studying it. We were just focused on hitting that ball. And you think we should learn languages that way? At some point, yes. Language classes give us an important foundation. But in this episode, we're going to share some stories about people who have found ways to go beyond learning a language to living a language. And thus the title of this episode, How to Learn a Language Without Studying It. And welcome to America the Bilingual, which reports on the bilingual movement in America. I'm Steve Levine. And I'm Fernando Hernandez. Steve, in prior episodes, we've heard some glimmers of what we're talking about. And remind us. In episode 7, we aired the story of how Bettina Young took her children to live in Italy for six months at a time. We asked her son, Daniel what that was like. Yeah, it was pretty hard. I sort of had to spend some time on the side learning the vocabulary and understanding what was expected of me at the school every day. And Daniel also learned Italian while chasing a ball. You could sort of pick up on what kids said and learn the language a lot better just by just hanging out with people and playing soccer. And do you remember in episode 16, Bless the Late Blooming Bilinguals, when we talked with Robin Lovin? She told us about the expats in San Miguel de Allende taking not Spanish classes, but classes taught in Spanish. Art classes, dance classes, cooking classes, those are the three most popular, and those are taught in Spanish. Yes, as in dual language schools, the focus is not on learning the language, but on using the language to learn. I want to master cooking uh, mole. And they're not going to learn that necessarily as well from a gringa who's learned it as they are from a Mexican who's lived it. She'll take them to the market and explain what they're buying and then take them to her kitchen and actually show them the implements that she's using to make these things and then use the terms that she's using to cook on, for instance, comal. Which is a flat griddle with a handle. You can learn on the job. You don't have to just study in an abstract way. It's much more applicable. I'm getting hungry. You're going to get hungrier because I've got a new interview to share. It's also about cooking, but in Italy. Susan Golden, who is today a visiting scholar at Stanford University, had a joyful language learning experience early in life. So I was 16 when I graduated high school and essentially took a gap year before people took gap years and went to live on a kibbutz. Prior to going to Israel, Susan had studied Hebrew and knew how to read and write, but not how to speak. 
part of the kibbutz program is they had a six-month, what they called ulpan, which they would teach you Hebrew, but you're also living there and speaking it every single day. Susan said most of the learning was outside of class. I had different jobs. I worked in the chicken area, and then I drove a tractor. But my best job, and where I really learned to speak, was I was assigned to the children's houses. Susan is referring to the houses on the kibbutz where the children lived apart from their parents. And the three-year-olds spoke at a rate with a vocabulary that I could really understand. And they enabled me to really learn the language. And it was a joy, really joyful experience to work with them. For me, the children were the great source of making me fluent. So let's fast forward. Susan came back to the U.S. to attend college and then graduate school at Harvard, where she earned a doctorate in public health. She got a job in a university, but when she was in her early 30s, Susan decided to make a career shift to the private sector. It was the first time I had a break of about two months, and I went to Italy to cooking school that was purposely taught in Italian for people from abroad so that they could get some exposure to the Italian language. Susan's experience in Israel convinced her that she wanted to learn Italian by living it. And that, again, was another incredible way to be introduced to a language. I wasn't there long enough to come out of it fluent, but I certainly knew how to say a tomato in Italian and the food that we were buying. And so I learned a certain kind of vocabulary. It was all the food we were cooking that day. Susan went with her teachers to the market every morning. And this was in Florence. That was another joyful way of learning a language. To this day, Susan still cooks for her family the recipes she learned in Florence. So I took Spanish in school, but then there was this huge gap. I did not continue in college. It's a regret of mine. I did not take one Spanish class in college, and I did not go abroad. My name is Brad Schmier. I'm a molecular biologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. Brad particularly regretted his lack of Spanish when he moved to Miami to go to graduate school. But he soon fell in love with the city and with Spanish. I mean, it really is the, you know, one of the important cities of Latin America, really. And that period began to get more dedicated to it, and then that grew over time. Brad discovered that the book scene in Miami and the Spanish scene were intertwined. I love to read. I love the bookstore Books and Books in Coral Gables, Mitchell Kaplan, and the Miami International Book Fair also were two great events. Books and Books is the landmark bookstore in Miami, and the Miami Book Fair is the nation's largest. Both have a large Spanish component. And I found this fabulous. And oftentimes mixed into this community is that, you know, if there's theater in Miami, there might be a Spanish play going on. Did you have friends in Miami where you just sat down and uh, they helped you with your Spanish? I did. I did. I had ex-girlfriends and friends. Did the the fact that the girlfriend is ex have anything to do with your Spanish? (laughs) I don't think so. I think I was the one forcing let's talk in Spanish. Ah, you're only one romance away from fluency. Agreed. But instead, Brad met a lovely Anglo woman named Allie. They got married, had a baby girl, and moved to New York City. So Brad is at that super busy time in life, raising a family, trying to get his career going. Even though he loved learning Spanish, it must have been hard for him to keep up with it. 
You're right. Brad was reading scientific papers as fast as he could and designing his experiments. He couldn't seem to find time for his Spanish. The abilities he had worked so diligently on in Miami began to decline. Brad heard people in his lab talking about a best-selling book on the history of cancer research. A few of my friends had read it in English and said, oh, this is a book you would love. And, and I said, but I'm busy. And I was really a story of, that has impacted all of modern cancer research. And I saw the opportunity to read about my own field. Brad discovered that the book was available in Spanish. So this was the opportunity to read about this in Spanish. It was very, very interesting. And uh, the cells are called HeLa cells. And the HeLa cells are short for Henrietta Lacks. That's right. But they were used for many years before her family had any clue. So was reading that book in Spanish, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, was that kind of like killing two birds with one stone? For sure. Absolutely. Once Brad discovered that he could keep learning Spanish while also helping his career, he got hooked. Didn't you also read The Emperor of All Maladies in Spanish? <laughs> I believe I did. <laughs> and that is... Why are you laughing? Why is that funny? I actually read that my first year of starting my fellowship at Sloan Kettering. There was a lot on the plate that year. That's The Emperor of All Maladies, a biography of cancer by Siddhartha Mukherjee. I've seen him speak since I finished the book at Sloan Kettering to the graduate students. And that was really, really uh, inspiring, yeah. Were you disappointed that he spoke in English? <laughs> I was, except he was great. <laughs> he was great. By combining his love for science, his passion for books, and his thirst for Spanish altogether, Brad discovered unexpected benefits. I was at a conference in my first trip to Asia. I went to Japan. I always find it a nice time to make some new friends and contacts. And I heard some guys speaking, uh, some Colombian scientists and Spanish scientists speaking Spanish. And then we just became friends and hung out the whole week. And I thought it was so fun walking down the streets of Japan talking in Spanish with him. We stayed in touch. We, my wife and I visited him and his wife on our honeymoon when, we, when they were lived and they were working in Switzerland, actually. It's great that Brad is advancing his career in English and in Spanish and living the expanded life that comes with being a bilingual. I asked Brad if he plans on continuing to live part of his life in Spanish. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the idea of pursuing some science in Spain someday for a year just because that's what I do. So why not? You're trying to decide your next uh, directions then and I'm gonna, at those inflection points, that seems like it would be a logical thing to do. So Steve, I'm living my English these days by working on America the Bilingual, speaking English with my bilingual friends, and writing. How are you living your Spanish? I do a bit of writing and speaking every day with my bilingual friends, including you. But Brad's story got me thinking about my attempts to read in Spanish. I realized I had made a couple of mistakes along the way. What were those? First I got children's books, but they were a little too simple. Reading them just became a language exercise. It wasn't terrible, but I wasn't feeling the pull of a good book that would keep me focused on the story and not on the Spanish. Then I went to literary. Steve, please don't tell me you started with Don Quixote. <laughs> well, I thought about that until I learned it's in old Spanish. So I aimed for prize winners like Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Carlos Fuentes, 
But I found those authors are hard for me to read in English, let alone in Spanish. My reading was super slow, and again, it became more of an exercise rather than enjoyable reading. That might be like me trying to read James Joyce. I guess. So finally, I decided to just go for a page-turning novel. I bought a bestseller by Julia Navarro titled Dime Quien Soy. Tell me who I am. It's a story of a woman named Amelia who lives through the Spanish Civil War, Stalin's Russia, Hitler's Germany, and finally the fall of the Berlin Wall. Navarro is an artful storyteller, and the Spanish is straightforward so that the book could work its magic on me. And how was it? I was so excited. It was the first time I was reading for pleasure in Spanish. My whole life, I rarely allowed myself the guilty pleasure of reading bestsellers. I felt I should be reading more serious literature. But now, I'm giving in to the pleasure of a good page-turner because I know it's what my Spanish life needs. So you're finding how to learn your language without studying it, but by just falling in love with great storytelling. The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFUL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by me, Steve Levine, and our producer, Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Check out the rest of our cast at americathebilingual.com, including Becky Rankin, Carlos Plaza, Mim Harrison, and our Barklingual pup, Chet. Our main musical theme is Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons attribution license. Financial support comes from the Levenger Foundation. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine. <laughs>